Google Save Generation X was filmed before a live studio audience. Ready? See if you can identify these five clips in the order that they are played. It could be from a song, a movie, a TV show, or something else. But if it's coming from this podcast, then you know that it's from Generation X. If our guest gets it wrong on the show, then I'll explain how you can enter to win a fabulous prize package. Listen closely. Good luck. Sorry, I just don't see it. Neither do I. It's nothing. Brody, this is nothing. Seaweed, mud, something in the lens. Hello, and welcome to Who Will Save Generation X? You're waving at me, PaulJPowers.com. I'm sorry. I was waving high. It's fine. Feel free to wave high. Take two. (laughs) I'm like, what did I do wrong already? (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Who Will Save Generation X, the trivia game show that is dedicated to remembering, celebrating, and preserving all the wonderful qualities of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. I'm Zave, your host, and today we are back with our next single-player edition of the show we call The Home Game. This alternative format of the show gives you a chance to play at home, with a friend, or by yourself, as well as giving you your fix of Gen X trivia in between regular episodes of the show. I am thrilled to say that this episode, we once again have a live studio audience joining us for the game. The audience is made up of our Patreon supporters and friends of the show. It's an exclusive group that we welcome to join us during the recording of the show, and it is one way that we show our gratitude to those who support us through the Patreon account. We have recently upgraded the benefits we give to our Patreon supporters, including a limited-time offer to get the benefit of a higher tier for a lower subscription price. If you'd like to check out all the things we offer to show our gratitude for our supporters, check out the show notes and click the link to our Patreon account. We count our blessings for those generous folks out there who support the show through our Patreon account and afford us to not go broke while trying to save the fun things of Generation X from going extinct. Thank you. No problem. Here's how we play the home game. Each episode, we invite a special guest and let them set the benchmark score for you to try and beat. Each round has a different game for you to try out. And at the end, you can compare your score with that of our special guest benchmark and earn your rank on the quiz. It's a good ranking one this episode, too. I'm excited to have it. Our special guest this episode is a Patreon supporter and an expert at mixing milk and Pepsi. Please welcome him to his first time on the show, Darren. Hi, Darren. Darren for Kyle. Darren. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself. Please include what generation you're from and how you feel about setting the benchmark score for this episode. Hello, listeners. I am Generation X, born in 1974. Uh, I'm a truck driver from Toledo, Ohio, and actually looking forward to this. Uh, Hoping to have a little fun tonight. Well, I got to ask, Darren, what is the perfect way to make Laverne and Shirley's favorite drink, milk and Pepsi? Two parts Pepsi to one part milk. You want the Pepsi to still be the star of the show. You want the milk to lend its presence to the drink. Any more than that, the milk kind of overpowers the Pepsi a little bit. I got you. Just a sousance of milk, you'd say. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Whatever sousance means. Okay. So listeners, let's see if you can outscore your fellow Gen Xer, or if you need to go back and refresh your memory of the cool stuff of your youth. The power struggle. In the opening of this episode, you heard five quick clips from Generation X. The game is called The Power Struggle, and in this game, you need to name those five clips in the order that they are played. 
If you get all five correct and in the correct order, then you will be bumped up an entire letter grade and rank at the end of the quiz. Think of it sort of as an extra credit question to help you out with your score. There's no penalty if you get it wrong, but if our special guest gets it wrong here in the show, then we are going to open it up to all of you listening to contact the show to see if you can get it correct. Good luck. You know, Darren, we got one last thing. As Gen Xers, we have all experienced moments in our lives where we just don't want to deal with other people's junk. In these moments, we sometimes throw up our hands, roll our eyes, and say, whatever. To honor this time-love tradition of Generation X, if at some point during the episode you feel apathetic about answering a question, you can use your whatever lifeline and appeal to the live studio audience we have here tonight and ask them to give you a clue that can help you answer the question. So audience, be ready to give Darren a clue should he ask for it, and we'll see if our audience is clueless or not. Darren, you only get one whatever lifeline, so use it wisely, but make sure you do use it. You can't take it home with you. There are a total of 26 points available in this episode, so everyone, please keep track of your score, especially you, live studio audience, and we'll see how well you did versus our special guest benchmark at the end of the episode. I wish you could just shut your big yapper! So that's enough talking about it. Let's do it! It's time to see if you can save Generation X from fading into oblivion. Round one. Round one is a game we call... In a world coming soon. In this game, I'll play selected parts of a movie trailer from a Gen X movie, and you will need to tell me the movie that it was a preview for. There are clips from three movies, and you'll get two points each that you can name correctly. So here's movie one. Listen close. Here's the trailer. What's going on here, my friend? This is the emergency broadcast system. We are under attack. It is believed the lead waves were disguised as commercial charter flights. Communications have broken down other parts of the country. You know who all of you are. They're looking for you. You're 40 miles behind enemy lines. I just want to go home. I took a lot of people away. Where's my dad, Mr. Eckert? They're going to kill us. So why should we be different? Because we live here. Okay, Darren, now that we've scared everyone listening, what movie is that from? The only thing I could think of is Red Dawn. Let's see if you are correct. Not bad for a bunch of kids, huh? Mama'd be real proud. That is, of course, correct. Well done. That's two points. You're one for one, Darren. Great job. All right. Let's move on to number two. Can you name this movie from the clip of its trailer? Warner Brothers is proud to present the story of a guy. Warning, I'm here. And his bike. Together for the first time in their first big movie. I say we kill it. Yeah! I say we let him go. What do you got, Darren? Uh, I think everybody knows that one. That's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Let's find out. Pee-wee Herman is Pee-wee Herman. Hello! <laughs> In Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Be sure and tell him Large Marge sent ya. <laughs> well done. That, of course, is correct as well. Darren, you are a truck driver. 
Is it just for movie magic's sake that Large Marge is the uh, legend of the truck drivers out there? Or is there anything to that? Can you let us know? I think that was just for the movie itself. Fiction. Yeah. That may have been a thing back in the 80s. I, was, I didn't start driving until the 2000s. So. But there's no trucker stories of uh, Large Marges out there roaming the, the freeways of the United States? No. Talk about a momentum killer right there. Okay, here's our final movie in the round. Listen closely to this trailer. The city was full of it. Desperate measures were needed. Desperate measures were taken. What about guns? When do we get guns? I need a volunteer. That's me! I love it! Where did you get this gun? My mom gave it to me. They're lean. Mean. Obscene. Each and every one of them striving to defend. You make me sick. Thank you, sir. I make everybody sick. And now that they're ready for the real world, crime is no longer the number one problem. What movie, Darren? That, I believe, is one of the movies that my parents probably let me see way too early in my life. Is that Police Academy 2? I'm sorry. Which Police Academy? You got like six. You got 12 to pick from. Yeah. <laughs> which which one are you going with? Let's go with the original Police Academy. Original Police Academy. Let's see in the reveal if you're correct or not. They are. Can you get my kitty cat out of the tree? No problem, ma'am. Police Academy. Police, Police Academy is correct. Well done. You swept the round. Before we start the round, let's get a scoring update from Robin. Like you said, Darren swept. He has six points. Six points as we head into round number two. Darren, before we start round number two, let's take another listen to the power struggle. Sorry, I just don't see it. Neither do I. It's nothing. Brody, this is nothing. Seaweed, mud, something in the lens. Round two. Round two this episode is our trivia round. Each complete correct answer is worth two points. If you think you can convince the judges to give you partial credit for your answer, you can award yourself one pity point for your partial correct response. We'll use the honor system here. Good luck, Darren and listeners and studio audience. This question is called Correctamundo. It is a television question. Happy Days is one of America's most beloved and most culturally impactful sitcoms of Generation X. It was the birthplace of multiple characters, actors, and spin-off series that we still love and reference today. Even after Ron Howard, who played the main character, left the show, and even after the Fonz literally jumped the shark, through it all, the show continued to be a hit for 11 seasons. Here's your question. Only three cast members were series regulars for the show's entire run. Which of these three actors was not a series regular for the entire show. Is it A, Henry Winkler, who played Arthur Fonzarelli? B, Anson Williams, who played Potsy Weber? C, Marion Ross, who played Marion Cunningham? Or is it D, Tom Bosley, who played Howard Cunningham? I believe if I remember correctly, Potsy joined the army with Richie, so uh, I'm guessing the answer would be Anson Williams. 
Anson Williams is incorrect. Uh, as a side note, that was Ralph who joined the army with oh. Richie. <clears throat> but that's neither here nor there. I just wanted to flex my uh, happy days knowledge a little bit. Be quiet. Uh, <laughs> I order you to be quiet. Believe it or not, the answer is A, Henry Winkler. The Fonz was not supposed to be anything more than a reoccurring character and was not a series regular during season one of the show. Ah. Yeah. Winkler's performance as Fonzie was so instantly iconic and lovable that his part was made much bigger by season two. Winkler was part of the main cast and would remain so for the rest of the show's run. It's hard to imagine, though, that there's ever a time when Richie's older brother, Chuck, was thought of as a more important character on Happy Days than the Fonz. Sit on it, Chuck. I spent about an hour coming through all old episodes of Happy Days trying to find anybody to say sit on it, Chuck, but I couldn't find it. So I had to have my daughter's uh, best friend, Pepper, say the sit on it, Chuck part for me. So I feel like it's still a win. Here's question number two. It's called We're on a Mission from God. It is a movie question. Brothers Jake and Elwood Blues are on a mission from God to save the orphanage from where they were raised from closing down. How will they do this? By getting the band back together and raising the money that Sister Mary Stigmata needs to keep the orphanage running. That's the best nun name ever, I think. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd debuted their Blues Brothers characters on SNL. The bit became so popular that the duo decided to make it into a feature-length movie. The movie became an instant classic with both fans and critics. Here's your question. Multiple soul and R&B musicians make appearances in the movie. However, which of the following did not appear in the Blues Brothers? Which of the following cameos was not a was not in the movie? I'm laughing at something else. There we go. Uh, is it A. Ray Charles, B. Aretha Franklin, C. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, D. Little Richard, or is it E. Rich Little? Uh, Ray Charles owned the pawn shop. Uh, Aretha Franklin was the diner owner and married to one of the members of the band. So they were in it. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Who was the last one again? The last one was Rich Little, uh, but D was also Little Richard. Yeah. Rich Little, I don't remember being in the Blues Brothers. I'm going to go with Rich Little. Rich Little is correct. Robin wrote this question. And I thought I'd be silly to make a little pun on Little Richard versus Rich Little, the impressionist. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. We're trying to pick the one that's not in the movie. And I realized I just gave you the total easy, easy out. The original answer was Little Richard was not the musician that was in the movie. That just teaches me, host, stay in your lane. Let the judges and the professionals write the questions and not so much with you with the comedy. Um, here we go. It wasn't only music artists that made cameos in the Blues Brothers. Supermodel Twiggy appeared as the British lady who asked Elwa to, quote, fill up her gas tank. Nudge, nudge, no one am I inside all. Steven Spielberg appears as the Cook County clerk at the end of the movie. And Joe Walsh from the Eagles even appears as an extra in the jailhouse rock scene. But the best cameo of all of the movie had to be from this actor. Carrie Fisher. I must now kill you and your brother. R.I.P. Carrie. Okay, now that I've screwed up that question. Just uh, a quick thing. Uh, yeah. Carrie Fisher died on my birthday. I don't know if that's something to celebrate or be sad about, or it's just one of those things. So I was in a Facebook group the other day. Somebody put out a post about Wilford Brimley, and I, I replied I replied with, hey, Wilford Brimley died three miles from my house. And I thought it was a fun fact, but 
you know, I got all kinds of hate and people commenting like, why are you mentioning about Wilford Brimley dying on this group? Like, what's wrong with you? And I had no answer for that question. Okay. All right. So I made a mistake. So I goofed. I'm sorry. What do you want me to do about it? I wish I could just have that carry that little bit around with me that anytime where the world gets awkward for me, I just hit a button and says, these happy days are yours. And then I can just kind of slink away, you know? Okay. What are you talking about? Anyways, let's move on. Here's the next question. It's called, it's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. It is a movie question. When Steven Spielberg told his buddy George Lucas he was thinking about doing a James Bond movie, Lucas replied that he had something better than James Bond and pitched him his rough idea for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Spielberg loved it and described the idea as James Bond without the hardware. And thus, Indiana Jones was born. Here's your question. During which year did Temple of Doom take place? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, 1935? B, 1936? C, 1938? Or is it D, 1969. 69, dudes. Uh, I know Lost Crusade was 38. And even though Raiders was made before Temple, I know Temple in the timeline took place before Raiders. And I believe Raiders took place in 36. So I'm going to go Temple of Doom took place in 1935. That is very impressive, Darren. Well done to think that out. Most impressive. That, of course, is correct. A, 1935 is the correct answer. All of the options, even the 1969 gag, are actual time settings for various Indiana Jones movies. Raiders of the Lost Ark took place in 1936, but Temple of Doom was set a year earlier in 1935, as you said, Darren. The Last Crusade was set in 1938. Dial of Destiny is set in, no joke, 1969. It's too bad, however, that there's no Indiana Jones movies set in the 50s. That would have been so cool. But I guess when you wait 35 years in between sequels, you end up missing some opportunities. Here's the next question. It's called, See, I'm washing lettuce. Soon I'll be on fries, then the grill. And that's where the big bucks start rolling in. Coming to America was Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall's first collaboration on the big screen. Their chemistry was magical. And the two would go on to collaborate on other entertainment projects and remain good friends. In the movie, Murphy plays an African prince named Akeem, longing for a strong and independent woman who will love him for himself and not for his crown. Accompanied by his best friend and right-hand man, Simi, played by Hall, he decides to go to America and live as a regular single man in the city in order to find what he's looking for. In New York City, both men start working at a fictional McDonald's knockoff. The question is, what is the name of the restaurant where Akeem and Simi find work? That would be McDowell's. McDowell's is correct. Look, being a McDonald's people, we got this little misunderstanding. Hmm? See, they're McDonald's. I'm McDowell's. They got the golden arches. Mine is the golden arcs. Well done. Eddie Murphy hired director John Landis to work on Coming to America. The two had worked successfully together on trading spaces. Spaces worked successfully on trading places several years before, and Murphy thought Landis was perfect for this project. Tensions almost immediately flared up, however, and Murphy vowed never to work with Landis again. But the two reconciled, and Landis would go on to direct Murphy again in Beverly Hills Cop 3, 
I think speaking for the audience for that film, I kind of wish they stayed mad at each other. <laughs> and here's the last question in the round. This program is intended for mature audiences. Parental discretion is advised. It's called Where in the World is Vincent Benedict? This is a movie question. Twins was a 1988 comedy starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito as the unlikely twin brothers. The premise of the movie is about a 50 scientist experiment gone wrong. Scientists attempt to create the perfect child by combining the DNA of six men. And then hey, can I can I interrupt real quick? Yes, that Robin. seems like a flawed premise, because why on earth would the scientists think that they could make the kid perfect if they had a DNA from more men? What do you got against Mormons? What? No, no, no. Is their DNA not? There's <laughs> humans like everyone else, Robin. Mormons are chill. Mormons are chill. More men. Oh, more men. <laughs> I said more men, not Mormons. It just seems like if they wanted the kid to be perfect, they should have added DNA for more women. Seems smarter to me. That's all. <laughs> judges? Hey, the judges agree. I, I I think that's a good point. Six dudes to one lady. That's that's not a good ratio anyways. But thank you, Robin. We'll We'll revise that and we'll edit that whole part out and fix it in the final episode. If I may continue... The experiment takes a surprising turn when the embryo splits and creates twins. According to the scientists, all the good DNA went to one of the kids, Julius, while all the leftover crap went to Vincent. Julius is raised by one of the scientists in the South Pacific, while Vincent is sent to an orphanage in what U.S. city? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, New York City, B, Chicago, C, Los Angeles? D, Detroit, or is it E, Garden Grove, California? It's been forever since I've seen Twins. I know the story took place in Los Angeles, but I'm going to, uh, that just seems too obvious. I'm going to go with Chicago. Chicago is incorrect. Darren, you're too smart for your own good. It was Los Angeles. Ah. This was Schwarzenegger's first time starring in a major comedy, having previously done mostly action roles. This made the studio hesitate to greenlight it as they weren't sure that the bodybuilder was up for it. Both Schwarzenegger and DeVito ended up foregoing a salary for this movie in exchange for a percentage cut of any movie profits. This movie was a financial success for both actors, and they both walked away with the biggest paychecks of their acting careers. Schwarzenegger said that his decision to invest in himself was one of the best decisions of his life. The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. You know, I watched an independent film about a woman who combined the DNA of six men at once. And I didn't realize it was just a ripoff plot of the movie Twins. <laughs> the more you know. Okay, we're going to listen to the Power Struggle clip one more time before we start round three. But before we do that, if you're still wanting to listen to the show, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. And then I got a quick Dude, here. this is a family show. What are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, Tommy's like on the call. I know there's a 12-year-old in the audience, but you know. Okay, moving on quickly to my read. You can't do that on television. We'll return after these messages. If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and subscribing for future episodes. The only way a show like this gets anywhere in the podcasting world is by positive reviews and word of mouth among friends. So, if you're inclined, please help spread the word about the podcast and share it with that special Gen Xer in your life. We'd love to have you as a friend of the show. 
Thanks so much. Now back to You Can't Do That on Television. The Power Struggle. Sorry, I just don't see it. Neither do I. It's nothing. Brody, this is nothing. Seaweed, mud, something in the lens. Round three. Round three today is a game called Second Guessing. In this game, players must guess the title and artist to a popular Gen X song, but they only get to listen to one second of the song. The judges have selected a recognizable one second clip of some part of the song for you to listen to. So it's not necessarily the first second of the song, but it could be. There are five songs in total and you'll be awarded one point for artist and one point for title for a total of 10 points available in the round. I'll play each clip twice and then you give me your answer. Okay, Darren. All right. This is one of the harder games we play. So you get some hints. Song one is from 1984. And Google tells me that this is a metal rock song. Here's your one second clip. One more time. Uh, that's a song off of the album of the same name of the year, 1984, by the band Van Halen. That would be about a car, actually, not the nation that produces a whole bunch of cocaine. Anima. Let's see if he's right. Panama is, of course, correct. Here's the fun fact. Panama is a country in Central America famous for its canal, but it has nothing to do with this song. Here's song number two. It's from 1978, and it is a punk rock song. One more time. I know it's the Ramones. Um, yeah, I think we're going to go whatever here. Whatever. Going with the whatever lifeline. So, Darren, you have your choice of anyone in the live studio audience to pick from. So we have Robin in the audience, pauljpowers.com. Pauljpowers.com. Adam, Suzanne. Or the twofer of Donovan, three-time champ, with his son, Tommy, who's 12 years old, um, but, but undefeated in the podcast, I might add. Let's, let's, go with the, let's go with the father and son team there. Father and son team? Am I supposed to give a hint? Yes, you're supposed to give a hint to the correct answer. Don't say the title, just give the oh. uh, tint. Oh, give a hint? Yes. Wait, wait, so just supposed to give him a clue. Get a clue? Did you just tell me to get a clue? Oh, yeah, Lincoln. Um, telling you to get a clue right now and give him a clue. <laughs> um, a hint. Um, I don't know what the song is. Oh, I know what the song is. I just can't think of the title. It's about doing drugs, bro. <laughs> 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 not, not much. I mean, that's why I know the title like in a second. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go with the hint, it's about doing drugs, about this punk rock song? That's your clue? It's what they do to you before surgery. Okay, Darren, that's your clue. It's what they do to you before surgery. And doing a lot of drugs. And doing <laughs> a lot of drugs. Which is fun. Hey, kids. <laughs> drugs are fun. And now I'm happy.
having fun, baby. Um, you know, the only thing I can think of right after you said it's what they do be- to you before surgery, knock me out. I that's close. That is not a complete correct answer. I'm sorry, Darren. I was pulling for you on that one. So we're gonna have to give you a incorrect answer on that one. Donovan, what's the name? I wanna be sedated. Nothing yes. to do, nowhere to go. Home. I'm not good with lyrics except for the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robin, just want to let you know that uh, Darren got one point for getting the artist correct on song number two. You got the Ramones, so you got one point on that one. You just didn't get the song title. You're still doing great on the quiz. Here's the fun fact for I Want to Be Sedated. For Johnny Ramones' guitar solo, he plays the same note 65 times in a row. Very punk. Four more notes and it would have been perfect. Here's song number three. It is from 1984. And it is a rock song, according to Google. One more time. That is Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days. Let's see if he's right. Well done, Darren. That is correct. And here's the fun fact for Bruce Springsteen's song. Springsteen once famously said of this song, the first verse actually happened. The second verse mostly happened. And the third verse, of course, is happening now. And if you know the lyrics that, of that song and are listening to this podcast, then you might be feeling the same way right now. If not, you can Google it later. This next song is from 1986. It is a rock song, I guess. Give me the artist and title to this popular song. One more time. One bonus time just for you, Darren, because I like you. I am drawing a complete blank. Oh, uh, <laughs> I know I've got to say something. I've got to give an answer to something. I don't want to get slimed here. Uh, this feels like Huey Lewis in the news, but I can't think of oh, the song. I, it's... Just because I said Huey Lewis in the news and I got to give an answer to power of love and I know it's wrong. If you think it's Huey Lewis in the news, just think of the fifth most popular Huey Lewis in the news song. That might give you the right answer. Yeah, because I can't, I can't. Stuck on you? Let's see if he's right. Judges, we're going to say that's close enough. Stuck with you is the correct Stuck answer. Well done. That's two more points. Here's the fun fact. According to Huey Lewis, the song was written about a girl he liked. However, when he played it for her, she didn't like the song. Well, someone out there did. It spent three weeks at the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. Three weeks. Number one with that song. I'm really surprised by that. And here is our last song of the episode. We have a slight curveball here. Instead of the artist and title, you need to identify what theme song this last one is for. Here we go. One second. One more time. Oh, that is one of my favorite shows of all time. It ran for 11 seasons from 1972 to 1983. It took place in 
the Korean War, Weijangbu, South Korea, 4077th is the camp number. MASH. Let's see if he's right. Judges, Darren gave a very vague answer to that one. Should we allow him? Is that close enough? Okay, that's close enough. Well done, Darren. That, of course, is MASH. Here's a fun fact. I'm laughing because my uh, wife is in the audience and she's staring daggers at me because she hates that show. And that totally triggers her memory of it being the last show on and after afternoon cartoons after school. And once the cartoons were done, they played MASH and you heard the first few bars of that song and you went running for the hills. That's the story she told me. And uh, it meant it was time to turn off the TV and nothing was on television. But I know a lot of people really love that movie or show. Uh, Here's the fun fact, though. The song was written for the 1970 MASH movie, which the TV show was adapted from. Director Robert Altman had two stipulations about the song for the composer, Johnny Mandel. It had to be called Suicide is Painless, and it had to be the stupidest song ever written. Those are his quotes. Altman attempted to write the lyrics himself, but finding it too difficult for him to write something stupid enough, he gave the task to his 15-year-old son, Michael, who reportedly wrote the lyrics in five minutes. Altman later decided that the song worked so well that he could use it for the film's main theme. Altman then said that while he only made $70,000 for directing the movie, his son had earned more than $1 million for co-writing the song. I thought that was indeed a fun fact. Shall we say $1 million American dollars? No way. So, Darren, we're going to take one last listen to the Power Struggle question, and then we'll get your answer, okay? Sorry, I just don't see it. Neither do I. It's nothing. Brody, this is nothing. Seaweed, mud, something in the lens. Okay, Darren, what is your final answer to the power struggle question? Remember, you need to name what the clip is from and in the correct order. Give it to us one through five. What do you got? The first one, I think, is from the video game Hubert. The second one, that's... I'm not real sure on this. I want to say Groundhog Day. Third one, I'm drawing a complete blank on. They did not make Uh, that show for you, Darren. Yeah. The only thing that I can think of is Gem and the Holograms. Is that what it is? Uh, The fourth one, I'm going to go with Swamp Thing, just to throw an answer out there. Seaweed, mud, something in the And the only one that I know 100%, and I'm not a huge Clash fan, it's London Calling by The Clash. Well, Darren, you got some of those answers correct, but not all of them. So that is an incorrect answer. That means we turn this over to the listeners to see if they can get it correct and claim that prize package. To enter for a chance to claim the generous prize package, you can join our newsletter and there will be a place for you to send in your answers to this question. All correct entries will be put into a quarterly drawing to win the prize package. And since this is a podcast and there's a delay from the point when it's downloaded, when it's listened to, we decided it would be best to wait and give more people time to play 
and send in their entries. So we will combine the entries of several shows into one drawing per quarter to give more people a chance to play and win. Details on how to join the newsletter can be found in the show notes for this episode, or you can contact the show directly at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com, and I promise to write you back with all the details. Good luck. You're going to need it. Robin, what's Darren's final score? Darren's final score is 21. Darren, first, thank you so much for lending your time and talents to the podcast. Did you have a good time on the show? I had an absolutely wonderful time. This was a nice break from reality. <laughs> nice. Darren, do you have a message for those listening that you beat here today? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Darren, you're really good at this. So I don't think there's anything wrong with them so much as you did just did a good job. So you're a truck driver and you are on a Gen X podcast. Does your truck have a name? Not my work truck. I I do have a pickup truck. I, I own a, a black Ram and from the front of it, it kind of looks like Darth Vader. So I've named it Vader. What? Okay. Well, that, that's a good Gen X name. But if you're ever allowed to name your uh, semi truck that your, your work truck and you don't go with Porkchop Express, I'm going to be very, very disappointed. We might have to pull your Gen X credentials. What I'm saying. I, I was thinking about going the, with the truck from Maximum Overdrive because ACDC did all the soundtrack for that movie. That works too. Judges? Okay, word. All right, everybody. Do you remember your score? There were 26 points available, but let's see how well you did and get the grades and ranks. If you were playing against our special guests and scored less than 21, then you let this milk and Pepsi drinking dude beat you and you might want to go back and brush up on the memories of your youth. This episode, we're using the Happy Days Supporting Roles scoring system for grading the quiz. Let's go to the ranks. A score of 26 to 24 points is the grade of an A, and that earns you the rank of Arnold Takahashi. Happy Days pioneered the concept of a sitcom full of teens hanging out at the fast food joint. Without Arnold's drive-in, we may not have a Peach Pit, The Max, or Big Kahuna Burger. Okay, that last one's a stretch, but you get what I mean. Arnold's was the glue that held this classic long-running sitcom together, and Pat Morita's character, Arnold, was the dude holding Arnold's together. He was always there to give us a one-liner and brighten the day. He paved the way for future Asian actors to be on television, and representation, even if it's not the most honest representation, still matters. Confucius say, leave Hong Kong on What does that mean? Sit on it, Kirk. <laughs> Shout out to Al Davecchio and all, but for breaking racial barriers and bringing the great Pat Morita into our collective consciousness, we give the rank of Arnold Takahashi to all of those who got an A on this episode's quiz. I'm sure Al would agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did I ever tell you about Rosa Coletti? You get an A, congrats. You're doing your part to save Generation X. Well done. A score of 23 to 21 points, that's you, Darren, is enough for a B and the rank of your choice of either Pinky Tescadero or Leather Tescadero. Which one are you going to pick, Darren? Pinky or Leather? Uh, I'm going to go with Leather. Boom. I think that was her catchphrase, right? Happy Days was a forward-thinking show in many ways, and one needs to look no further than Pinky Tescadero and her little sister Leather Tescadero as examples of making female characters as cool as the boys on the show. Between Pinky and Leather, they hit the same kinds of notes as the Fonz, but from a woman's perspective. Pinky was the only woman on the show that didn't come running when Fonzie snapped his fingers, and we think that earns a B at least on today's quiz. I'd love to be your wife. How am I going to learn how to spell Fonzarelli, huh? You learned how to spell Tuscadero, didn't you? 
A score of 20 to 19 points is enough for a C, and that gives you the rank of Ginny Piccolo. This program is intended for mature audiences. Parental discretion is advised. Ginny was the boy-crazy best friend of Joni on the show and was portrayed at times as a bad influence on Joni for always being on the lookout to hook up with dudes. Look, Gen X does not slut shame. So if Ginny wanted to be the inspiration for the plot of twins and take on six dudes DNA at once, then we say whatever. You do you, Ginny. No judgments here at all. If we're going to go throw shade on anyone in the show, it's got to be the dudes that can't keep it in their pants. Nevertheless, in the show, she was just a replacement for Joni in later seasons. So for being pick and save version of Joni, we have to give her only a C on the ranks. Have you gone mad? They've got a great club. When they have parties, all the cutest guys in school are there. How do you know? They never invited you to any of their parties. Oh, I crashed one once. And the guys that dragged me out were the cutest guys I've ever seen. Strong, too. A score of 18 to 16 points is enough for a D, and that can only be Spike Fonzarelli. When the writers on the show wanted to give the Fonz a sidekick, they dreamed up a teenage nephew for him named Spike. It was the first attempt to give the Fonz a family, and it was a flop. The characters did not connect with the audience, and they tried again with Fonzie's cousin Chachi, who was a hit simply because they gave him a catchphrase. Wah, wah, wah. Spike was pretty much a cousin Oliver on the show, annoying characters and audience members alike. He would be an F, but the Fonz is so cool that in no way a Fonzie mini-me could possibly be anything less than a D. So that's where we rank him. Hey, wait up. I'll go too. I love feisty chips. <laughs> Sit on it, Spike. <laughs> and finally, if you scored 15 or less, well, that's a failing grade, I'm afraid. And your rank, yep, you guessed it, Chuck Cunningham. Everyone knows about older brother Chuck from seasons one and two, who was erased from existence like he was less a brother of Richie and more like a brother to a failing Marty McFly. But nobody seemed to know what happened to Chuck, but we think we figured it out. In the episode where Richie is all freaked out about being the middle child, they had a backyard cookout. And at one point, Marion informs Howard that Chuck couldn't be coming because, quote, it seems he was the high scorer in the basketball game last night. And so the team carried him off the court and nobody knows where they carried him off to. And that's what happened to Chuck. For being erased from an all-time great TV sitcom, that's an epic failure. And this grade of an F for not getting more than 14 points in the quiz as well. Try again on the next episode of The Home Game and see if you can get a passing grade. But until then, you can all just sit on it. They started in unhappy days and it became a trend. You can say it to your brother. Sit on it, Richie. Or to your brother's friend. Sit on it now. When your mother's really angry, she can say it to your pop. Sit on it, Howard. You can stand up to the law and say it to a nasty cop. Sit on it, Kirk. Saying it in unison is always lots of fun. Sit on it, Marvin. A loving father sometimes even says it to his son. Richard, yeah? Go to the field and sit on it. You'll feel good when you say it to a date who is a dope. Sit on it. Spike. Indirectly say it to Comedy and Bob Hope. Bob Hope can sit on it. It would always be appropriate to say to someone smelly, but never, never say it to Arthur Fonzo. Sit on it, Fonzie. Hey! Once again, I'd like to give a shout out to our special guest, Darren, as well as our live studio audience for being on the episode. After the show, we're going to play some additional trivia games with the audience. But before we do that, I have one shout out to give. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our new Patreon supporter, Diana 
who recently signed up for our newest tier on Patreon called the 69 Dudes tier. 69 Dudes! The newest tier only costs $1.69 to join. We wanted to make it 69 cents, but Patreon would not allow us to do it. Bogus. However, we have a special going on right now on our Patreon site that if anyone joins the 69 Dudes tier at $1.69, they automatically get the benefits of the $6 Double Dare tier. This is a limited time offer and is limited to only the first 69 people that sign up. And then that's it. We're capping it off. We have upgraded all of our tiers recently, so check us out on Patreon and see what all the new offers are all about. But on this episode, we want to celebrate Diana for joining. Here's a sound clip in your honor that we hope you especially like. Especially like. Diana, this one's just for you. All right, my advice to you is uh, dump a loser. You don't need that. You see what I'm saying? You see the point I'm trying to make? Love's a bitch, duck. Love's a bitch. Ain't it the truth? Oh, it's the the truth. We picked that one because I think that's the only time we're ever going to be able to play anything Andrew Dice Clay said ever, since this is a family show. We hope you enjoyed playing along this episode of The Home Game, and we'll post your score on our Facebook group page. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have a Patreon account set up for those who'd like to take advantage of the special rewards we offer for becoming a Patreon subscriber. If you have any questions, comments, a shout out, or would like to sign up to become a guest on the show, you can email me at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback and invite you to become a friend of the show. Well, that's it for this edition of The Home Game. Thanks so much to all of you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back with our regular version of the podcast in the next episode, where we will once again ask the question, who will save Generation X? Later. Oh, Carla, those are gorgeous. Who sent them? What do you think? Oh, isn't Eddie sweet? Oh, why can't Mormons send flowers? I didn't know Mormons couldn't send flowers. (laughs) I said Mormon, not Mormons. I know they can't dance. (laughs) That's the uh, the Amish. Why can't Mormons send flowers? They can. What are you talking about? I just wish someone would send me some roses. Why does it have to be a Mormon? Oh! Cheers. Some people you just can't discuss religion. <laughs>